Good morning. You guys could be seated. You guys could be seated. Good to see your faces. Good morning. How are you guys feeling? Lovely, lovely. It's been a crazy month for some of you guys, and I know a lot of things are going on, but so glad that you guys are here and with us. If you're a guest or visitor, my name is John. So glad that you guys are here as well. I know that some of us, we all come from different spaces, you know. Some of our, us have been, uh, been uh, going to church for a long time. Some of us, this is brand new. Uh, we, this is, we're new to Jesus, or some of us, we're coming back to faith, looking to grow. Others of us are just checking things out. But I'm just glad that you, you've been with us. And before we even begin, I just want to start with a moment of prayer and uh, just asking uh, uh, God to be with us here today and that he would speak to our hearts. And, uh, and just let's just begin and just take a moment, take a moment just to quiet yourself. Heavenly Father, we trust you. We trust you. God, there are so many things going on in each one of our lives. But I pray that we move from an area of just saying this is my faith, this feeling of faith, into trust. And trust takes actions, God. That we actually take actions towards you to learn who you are and to walk with you. I pray that today that your word, Lord, would come alive and be like revelation, Lord, into our hearts. Speak to me and through me, Lord. Speak your word, Lord God, clearly. And I pray, reveal Jesus. And Jesus, please, change lives today. Take us on this journey with you. Take us one more step in knowing who you are. Let us take one more step of trusting who you are in areas of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. If, the, if you guys are new, my name is John, and we're continuing this thing called Rooted. Say Rooted. Rooted is a, uh, it's this experience. It's, it's a teaching series. We're going through it, and it's, uh, we're practicing seven rhythms to a healthy relationship with God, and, and it's daily devotion, prayer, freedom from strongholds. I felt like I could have spoke on that for weeks, actually, and, and probably need to, and uh, there was a lot of healing going on from heal, uh, freedom from strongholds, serving in the community, and then also sharing your story, and lastly, celebration. Next week, we actually have a, a special guest that's coming in. Uh, it's, uh, his name is Professor Blomberg, and uh, he's going to come in and speak to us. He, the very funny thing about him speaking to us is there is quotes in the Rooted curriculum that he actually, he's being quoted in the Rooted curriculum himself. He's actually one of the top uh, specialists in uh, New Testament studies and history, and he's quoted uh, from... Uh, 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 by Lee Strobel. He's quoted from all over. He's actually one of the main professors at Denver Seminary, and he's going to speak to us next week. So I don't want you to miss that because the insight is going to be great, and I can't believe he's coming to our church. I'm actually surprised he said yes. I was like, really? All right. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Hannah, for the insight. 
but uh, just very, very excited that he's going to share with us. But I, I just want to tell you this. Our desire is that together, that you and I, that we would build a robust and rooted relationship with Jesus. A rooted one. Something that goes down deep. Because listen, to do something like that takes discipline. Say discipline. No one is a natural in following Jesus. I know some people seem like it. They're, they're not. No one is a natural. We, we all start from crawling to walking to running. And sometimes we crawl again. And then we walk again and we run. And so I want you to view yourself, like Paul would say, as an athlete. I know some of you guys are not athletes, but, you know, whatever. You know, I still try to play basketball here and there. And I find out I am not an athlete. I need to pass this ball around. I don't want to run up and down court. Uh, so I either play lazy offense or lazy defense. Just, uh, just finding myself out here. But it's this practicing, practicing, studying, refining your apprenticeship to Jesus. Because that's what you are. You're an apprentice. Think about it that way. When you think about what, what the idea of Christianity and a faith, the best way to think about your faith is that you are apprenticing someone, just like a master plumber or a master electrician. Someone is following you, watching you, seeing what you're doing. And, you, and we want to live our lives like our master. And, and, we, and so as we read and study the life of Jesus, uh, the, the fruition, the focus, what, what happens is that we become like him. That's what it means to be an apprentice, learning his ways, right? Like if you ever, ever been around someone who cooks well, you start learning how to cook their way, right? The way they cut something, the, the way they spice something up, it tastes like them because you're learning something. Uh, April was an awesome baker. I'm sure you, I don't know if you teach your children how to bake, but it's just, I'm just like, I want to learn because I'm a horrible baker and I burn things even out of boxes. You know, have you ever done that? Because I'm, I'm from like California, then to Texas, and I came here and I just started burning everything I bake. And I was like, I need to learn a new way, right? So we're learning the little things that people do to, in, 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 that, to grow, to make it tastes beautiful. And that's what I want you to do. We're doing it individually and communally. We're growing our, our apprenticeship. We're growing our spiritual muscles. Last week, Hannah rocked it, speaking about our position in Christ and our purpose in Christ. And, and, and she spoke about how to make the most of my life. How do you make the most of my life? I believe this is the question that many of us have. We all live this life, and we're running at, a, at, at such a fast pace. But in all of this, how do we make the most of the time that we have? How do we make the most with the, even this moment today? I, I'm, I'm thinking about that. So we're on part two of that. So if you have your Bibles, please go in your Bibles uh, to uh, Psalms 90, verse 12. And Luke 10. Luke 10. All right? Uh, yeah, it's like the second one's not as good. All right? I get it. All right? We celebrate the Word of God here. Uh, but today I want to start with a deep thought from Psalms, right? And then I want to allow Jesus to answer those thoughts uh, and continue to answer the question, how to make the most of my life, right? And so uh, let's, let's go. We're going to read Psalms 90 verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain 
a heart of wisdom. I was just thinking about that. Our time is limited. Yeah, tell your neighbor your time is limited. It's kind of like a downer. Your time is limited. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say it too, like, happily. Right? Your time is limited. I feel this more than ever, that our time is limited, especially in our recent loss. If uh, our, uh, one of our, our good friends, Mike Bielman, uh, passed away, actually, uh, exactly a month ago, right? Uh, or... or 29 to 30 days ago or 31 days ago and uh it's been four weeks and i was just thinking about this this moment in time uh, this last month i have been thinking a lot about what matters when someone close to you passes away someone that's been in your life like mike and i and uh, for many of us we he was in my life constantly we saw each other at least three times a week we did life together we ate a lot of food together we laughed a lot together and, and so i was thinking like when someone is constantly in your life and they're gone it is it is so substantial it, it is like a, it, it hits you so hard and with this loss I would, it, it does bring up a lot of questions, but it also brings a lot of clarity of what matters most, of what matters most. And, 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 and also it gives us clarity what doesn't matter, right? It goes both ways. And I kept on asking, Lord, teach me something. Teach us to number our days, God. So many people that we know, and maybe it's you, maybe it's me, we live like this moment is going to be forever, right? Like that it's always going to be like this, that we're going to always be 20 forever. We're always going to be 30 forever. And now I just hit 40. I was like, oh, man, slow down, right? I'm like thinking of John Mayer, stop this train, right? And, or, and, or we'll always have our kids forever or this job forever, like we'll have one another forever. But the truth is our life is limited. Lord, teach us to number our days. So how can we use this best for what matters most? So today I want to start from the beginning, oh, from the end to the beginning. And uh, I've told this story before, but I was reading again about Bonnie Ware, who is an Australian hospice nurse. And she, was, she uh, cares for her patients the last 12 weeks of, uh, of their lives. And, and many of her patients approached these final days, and she would ask if they had any regrets. Do you have any regrets? Or things they would do differently. And here are the top two regrets in reverse order. Reverse order. Number two, she said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This came from mo uh, mostly male patients. And it, and it really shows the generation of that time. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. It's very interesting to say. Especially as Americans. Do you know that we are... Uh, either one or number two in the most worked people of this world. That's right. You guys hate vacations, even though it's all over Instagram. You guys, we work harder than most people in the rest of this world, even though we come from a place of, of leisure and luxury. Uh, most of us probably work around 60 hours a week, if you really put it together. It's very interesting. We would think, it has to be some of those Asian countries. That's what I thought. 
And, and you know, it's us. I was like, yes, number one at something bad, right? I was like, wow. I was like, but we work so hard. And the second biggest regret was I wish I wouldn't, wouldn't work so hard. Mostly because in this generation, men, men said this mostly because they were the breadwinners in that generation, but they missed their children's youth, their partner's companionship. And women spoke, spoke of this regret too and said this, I wish I was more alive in life. That's a very interesting line that people said, aware that life is short. She also said this, all of the people I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on a treadmill of work existence. They thought they had more time, but by that time, it was too late. Heather, do you have that slide, or is, is it not working? I think this is uh, last week's slides. And the number one regret was this. I wish I had more courage. Say courage. I wish I had more courage to live the life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she wrote this in, in her writings. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few people realize until they no longer have it. I'm going to say that again. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. One last time. Health brings a freedom very people realize until they no longer have it. I was speaking to my mom about this. She's, she was just, she's like really happy. And, and my mom has terminal cancer. And she's on year, I believe, four. And uh, the medicine's working, but right when the, she's on her third or fourth medicine, and when this doesn't work anymore, this is it. This is the last one. And, but she is so joyful, and, I, and I'm like, you should be sad. No, I don't tell her that. But she's like so happy. And she says this to me. She says, John, it's so funny. It says, when I was younger, we didn't have time, we didn't have money, but we had our health. And now I'm much older, and I have time. And I have money, but I don't have my health. And we're like, we're always trying to get to a spot. And when we get here, then we're going to start living. Then we're going to start going. And my mom is giving me some insight about life. And then she says this to me, do you want all my money? She says that to me all the time. I'm like, no, go spend it. Do whatever you want. She's like, I don't even want it. It's like, I'm good. I'm happy living the way I'm living. Like being with my friends. She does 18 hours of chemo a week, right? So it's substantial. I'm like, you, you, you have a job. It's called chemo, mom. And then sometimes when I'm with her, I just sit with her, and I, we just talk as she's going through chemo. And, and it's very interesting what you see at the end of your life. And, and, and it gives so much more clarity to the, to the depth of our life. And I'm sure some of you who are older or have been through some things think that same way. And it reminds us once again that life is limited. Life is limited. We only have a number of days. And, and this is such a downer. I'm sorry. It's going to get better, I promise, right? We only, and that's true. And so I want to remind us to do what matters, to when the Holy Spirit starts moving on you, to move in that way, because it matters right now. It matters because we're becoming somebody, 
We're becoming someone. So with that in mind, we're going into Luke. This is a little happier than, uh, than, than that thought. But I want us to remind us the weight of that thought so that this can hit us right between the eyes. Luke 10, 25 to 37 says this. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, this is already the wrong question because the expert is talking about eternity like car insurance. And it might be a way that we talk about eternity. Like, well, you know, you follow Jesus. It's like car insurance. You want that insurance just in case something bad happens, just in case hell happens. What do I need to do, Jesus, for this insurance? Yet Jesus talks about life now like it's going to be forever. He talks very different about life and eternal life right? Verse 26, what is, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, this expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He is that kid in class, his hand goes up and goes, I know the answer, right? And then it says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. But this is the part that's thick right here. Now do this and you will live and you will live i love the statement because it's it, it's such a deep response in two ways first jesus is confronting intellectual faith that is detached from real life intellectual faith that's detached from real life second he's expanding the idea of life connected to eternal life the expert believes god is most interested and what happens after we die, and that's when life really begins. Yet Jesus is talking to people who are living now, yet not alive, right? He says, do this and you will live as if people who are, can be dead inside. And that's what Paul talks about a lot in Romans, that we could be dead inside due to sin. And, 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 and when the writer John, when he's talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus gives us life, the fullness of life, right? And so Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So say the ways of this world. See, there's a pattern, there's a way, there's a system of this world, right? And, 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 and of, there's a, of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, doing what we wanted to do, what we felt like doing, and following in its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath or of a judgment. But, I love, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So when Jesus was resurrected, we are being resurrected. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you can be alive yet dead. You could be living yet dead by following the systems of this world. And I'm going to go on this for a little bit. There is a system, a programming of this world. And I, I know you hear me talking about this, but I feel like this is so important. Our world programs you like a radio, like software. I don't know if any of you guys are software engineers, but you can program a, a software to do certain things. And our world has programming for us. Our culture is counter to God, and it's sold to us by media, 
by political agendas, by Instagram, by music and entertainment, programming us to fall in line to their plan for our lives. All these areas of culture has a plan for your life. And Instagram has a plan for your life. That's right. Netflix has a plan for your life. You're like, what are you even talking about? And I said it last week or two weeks ago. When you're sad, it's easy to binge on Stranger Things and watch all three seasons in, in three days, right? And I'm telling you, I, 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 can, I can binge on some Netflix. I try not to, but I can. I've been, I, I won't even go on what I've been watching. But I'm just saying, I can binge because it's easy to be sucked in when you feel down or like, you know what? We have this thing. When we feel a certain way, we say, entertain me. I just want to forget about life. There's a plan for our life, right? Leading us to live, programming us to live out in the flesh, through our desires, through materialism, consumerism, that life is all about having the most stuff and most experiences before you die. I know no one says that, but we live like that. <clears throat> I mean, who's, who would actually say that out loud? Like, you know what life is about? It's about just like having as much stuff and experiences before I die. Like, no one's going to say that. But it seems like we actually live like that. You ever, you ever feel that way? You're like, no, I don't, John. Then you look at your life, you're like, man, kind of do. Like, every year I'm just looking for that one vacation, like, because then I'll be happy. That's how I am. Like, man, Candace, we're counting down vacation days, because if we can have that, then. And, but then even when you go on all these vacations, and, 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 and I'm not down in vacations, because we've been all around the world, and Candace and I, we leave the country once a year, so it tells us that it's an important part of our lives. I'm just saying, if you think that is going to fill the soul, you're mistaken. It's a good thing. It's awesome. You should experience things with your bride and with your family. But if you think that will fill your soul, ask someone who travels all the time, right? We, we, there's people who work and they travel all the time. And you're like, I bet you have the luxurious life of staying at nice hotels and eating what you want. And, and they'll always tell you, I hate it. <laughs> I'd rather be home. I'd rather be home with my kids. Because at the end of the day, none of those things can be your God. None of those things can fill your soul. But our world has programmed us to think, man, look what they're doing. And then I should be doing what they're doing. Right? They're not bad things. They're just not God things. They're just not God things. And then what they do is they play off our wants, this programming, and our fears to sell their products, to watch their shows, to get the newest and greatest, to keep us distracted. We're all working so hard, busy, running this race, building our kingdom. Yet is that what life is really all about? Or is there a way that we can be alive and yet not living? Jesus is right. What if Jesus is right? I want to ask you, even if for those who maybe not believe in Jesus or the Bible, what if Jesus is more right about life than you. That Jesus is more right about how the world works and how you work and what you need. Jesus says, do this. He's saying, love God with all your might and love people as yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll really start coming alive, he says. And you will live, he says. You will live daring us he's daring us to live differently that we are most alive when we're most connected to god and others in a deep and meaningful way that your 
fullness of life is not found in getting all you can. This actually leads the other way. It starts to empty you out, right? But, it, it, but it, the fullness of life comes by when we really embrace what it means to love God and love others. You begin to start coming alive when our obedience to God starts taking effect. Not just, I don't want you to be just Christians. I want you to be apprentices doing what Jesus is actually doing, what he did. That's what you do. That's how you come alive. But this expert, verse 29 says, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I love this. Always justifying. It just reminds me of me, right? When something's going wrong, I like to justify even in my arguments with, with my wife, if anything goes wrong, immediately, the first thought is justification why I'm doing this. Even if I'm wrong or right, it's just, it, gives us in, it just shows us the darkness of our heart. But look, it says justify. Many times when God tries to lead us, we begin to justify. Justify our apathy. Justify our sin. Justify why we can't change. Justify our lack of surrender. We give ourselves an out. We always do to stay the way that we are. Let that sink in for a moment. Because I wonder in our lives, are we giving ourselves an out to stay the way we are when Jesus says, I have so much better for you if you would just trust me. And trust is not a feeling. Trust has to move into action. It's an action. Just like we trust our cars to get us to work, that means that we don't wake up in the morning feeling anxious. Some of us do. Feeling anxious if our car will start. Like it will. When you don't have trust, the anxiety and fear begins to really like raise up in your life. Isn't that true? Right? When you don't trust that things work out the right way, this anxiety starts to take over and anxiety and fear begins to run your life. But when you trust God, you start doing and acting and moving in trust with God. Saying, you know what? I trust you in this. I'm going to go this way. I know my car is going to start. I'm going to get to work on time. You're not anxious about it. When we're walking around life always anxious, that means there's a part of us that still needs to work on our trust. That we, we say, God, in this area, this area, I still can't trust you. Can't trust you. Giving ourselves an out. Saying, you know what? God, I can't trust you. And what that's doing, it's hindering from us growing. It's about trusting God. I'm going to go on. Verse 30, it says, So in reply, Jesus tells this parable, and many of us, we all know this parable. I'm going to read this straight through. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which I want to give you some insight, just just very, uh, just, it's crazy. This whole part is, it, it almost speaks of Jesus' journey. You can read that later, that back into Jerusalem. It says this, when he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of their clothes, exactly what happened to Jesus. They, 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 they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. I was just thinking about the cross in that moment. You can think about that later. I just wanted to put that in there. But a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw this man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, which is a religious person in the right religious family. And when he came to the place, he saw him, and this Levite passed by the other side. Both these guys, really religious, spiritual, God-fearing, God-loving-ish, God-devoted, they saw this, man, this mess of a man, but they were either too busy or didn't care because no one was around to see it. So they went on their way, 
and they justified it within themselves. It's all right. It's all right, John. It's all right, John. I can do this. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. The Greek phrase of taking pity on him or filled with compassion means like he was like hit at the gut level, something like like deep inside of him, like to the gut, he had to do something. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever been like almost sick and I have to do something? And then we have to tell ourselves, like we calm ourselves down, like, no, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to do anything. But sometimes God brings such deep conviction of compassion that you got to do something. And, that, and, and, and if we keep on pushing that away, sooner or later, you won't feel that anymore. That conviction will not be there anymore. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put on this man his own donkey or his Tesla Cybertruck, whatever you want to do right there, brought him to the inn and, and took care of him. The next day he took out his two denarii, his, his, his like tab, and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you if, for any extra expense you might have. He says, I will pay for his stay and his recovery. Verse 36, which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell on the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them once again, go and do likewise. I want us to see three areas of action. Number one, he saw him. He saw his need. He saw his need. He saw his pain. It's very interesting in, in human beings when, when we don't want to deal with something, we actually don't look at it. Right? right? If there's a homeless man asking you to give you some money and you don't want to, you just don't make eye contact. Right? Uh, when you're driving somewhere and you, you see a need, uh, you see an elderly man, his uh, tires are popped, and uh, you really don't have time to do this, you just, we, don't, we pretend like we didn't see them. I, I don't know if you do that. I do that. Uh, just like, I'm not like, I'm not staring at them like, I'm not staring at them. I, I feel like if I don't physically look at them, they will know that maybe that I didn't see them. I don't know why we talk to ourselves like that. It's so strange, right? It, it, but it's like, it, it says he saw him. He saw his need. He saw his pain. He saw his humanity. It was someone's father, someone's husband, someone's son. And he was moved in compassion even though he was busy. This was more important than what he was doing, even though it was an interruption. He saw him. Number two, he crossed the street. There will always be barriers to keep us from crossing the street. I promise you. There will always be barriers that will keep you from doing what's right. There will always be barriers that will keep us from growing to know God. There will always be barriers to keep us from loving each other. There will be these barriers. So like, and, and, and you know, I was, uh, and I'm so good at this. I'm just kind of calling myself out. Uh, I, I hate small talk, but I'm like, I, I've learned to be good at it. I, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, I hate small talk because I think we're just like lying to each other. Like, how you doing, bro? Good. Work good? Yeah. Marriage good? Uh-huh. Like, it doesn't matter if anything, any of that, it's just like, get on with it. 
Like, give me, let, let's do a little bit of, like, like uh, cordial relationship so we can get on with it, right? And I, and I do that very well, but I hate it. I, I just hate it. So that's why I hide in the back and try not to talk to people. But then I'm like, you're just being a freak in the back and hiding now. Because I love to have, like, deep relationships and deep conversations. And, I, and Phil and I, we get to have deep conversations here and there. But it takes time. It takes interruption. It takes process. It takes sacrifice. It's, it's not 144 characters. It takes tears. Sometimes we have to sit and cry with one another. There's people in this room that are going through pain, and they smile, but some things on the inside, there's tears. And, 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 and you, to really see someone means that we, are, we step into a place where we don't want to do small talk. We step into a place where you say, I want to get to know you. This man, he stopped, he interrupted his life, and, and he saw him. And, and then he crossed the street, and, and, he, and he went through the barriers. And for him, there was a racial barrier. There was a religious barrier. There was a time barrier. And we can always make reasons why we can't, but he, he made reasons why he should. We, it, he didn't take the easy way out, which sometimes is the American way. We have easy way outs. Even Staples has the easy button. Everything is easy, right? But knowing someone, loving someone will always cost you. But not, I was, I was talking to Gino about this, but if you, every relationship that you have that is worth anything means you losing your rights. And I want, this is, I'm, I've been all over anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. Any relationship, any sort of loving God and loving people will always mean that you will surrender part of your rights. When you have a good friend, that means you've got to hang out with them, right? Like you lose some of your time. When you are married, that means you lose 50% of your time. You do. When you have kids, you lose 50% more of the time that you have lost with the 50%, right? So now you are down to 25% for you, right? Every, but you know what? Those are the deep relationships that you love. Every relationship that means anything to you has a cost. It costs you your rights. Your rights. It costs you your efforts, and there is surrender. There is mutual surrender to one another. And if you don't want that, then you will never have life that is truly life that Jesus talks about. Everyone says, man, I need community. And I said, that means you're going to surrender your rights. And they said, I don't want that. I'm out. Right? We always do groups. We have these things called rooted. We, and then, then people say, man, I need community. And I said, it means you're going to surrender your rights. I don't want that. Every time I will tell you that means you will surrender some of the things that you're already doing in life. You will surrender your time. But those are the things that bring us life. I don't regret one day that I spent with Mike. Not, not one day. I, w I say to myself, I wish I had more dumb, dumb days that we did together 
just going out driving or having conversations or drinking coffee. You, I, I, I wish we had more days with the friends that we loved. I don't ever say I regret those days. I, I actually find those days were way more important than I thought they were. Those moments where we surrender our rights for what we want to do. That's what it means to be a part of a community. That's what it means to love. He saw him. He crossed the street. He paid the price. Jesus surrendered his rights. See, I was thinking about this. Dallas Willard wrote this, and he's by far my favorite writer, but he says, the cost of discipleship is great, but the cost of non-discipleship is far, far greater. Non-discipleship costs enduring peace, a life permeated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what's right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring, the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and the life on the highest plane. I'm not asking if you believe in God. I'm asking, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you actually following Jesus? Many times in church, we think, oh, we just need to believe in God. And I'm telling you, that's not the life Jesus is talking about. He's asking us, are you following me? Are you an apprentice? I say this because these are two very different kinds of lives and two very different kinds of relationships with God. But Jesus said it this, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live. Not think this or believe this, but do this. Love God, love others. Do it, trusting that God knows how to make the most with your life. As we close today, as we close today, I want us to see this parable in the light of the gospel. Because we are not the priest in this story. We are not the Levite in this story. And we are not even the Samaritan in the story of Jesus. We are the men robbed and beaten and broken, naked on the side of the road, barely alive. And God saw us. I just want to tell you that God sees your pain. He sees your mess. He, saw, he sees our confusion, our emptiness, our fears. He saw that sin was killing your life. And he saw that we could not save ourselves. So he crossed the street, crossed heaven. He moved into the, in your neighborhood. The word Emmanuel means God with us. That's grace. He crossed the street and crossed your path. And Jesus paid the price for our life, and it cost him absolutely everything. It cost him everything. Death on a cross, naked, beaten, broken. Let's just bow our heads for a moment.
As you think of this story, I want you to think of Jesus as the Good Samaritan. He paid the price, and we didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. So rather, I am asking you to respond to his radical love by living out the life he has for you, a life centered around God and people. Christians, we must center our life around God and people, center our lives around the gospel, which is the love of God revealed. Salvation is not the end, but the beginning of eternity starting now. That is what Jesus was trying to say. Trust Jesus with your life. God, teach us to number our days, to see what matters most. At this time, we have the guys, and they're going to pass out communion. But keep your heads bowed. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I want you guys to think about this. And they're going to put it up. Just the three questions. Number one, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor means that it starts in your current space in life. Who you live by, walk by, talk and see. That is your kingdom. That when the when the gospel, when the when the Bible talks about your kingdom, it's your area of influence. That's why he talks about being a neighbor. Ask yourself, am I living at a pace that I have no room for God and for people? Number two, what does it look like to cross the street for you? Every, everyone, it's going to be different. But ask yourself, what does it look like for me to cross the street in this season of life? We can't do everything, but we can and we must do something. We can give encouragement. We can pray with someone. We can ask for forgiveness or give it. We can make peace. We can serve. We can give a smile. We could be generous. God, change my heart to help me see people like you do. Number three. What area of your life do you justify so that you don't need to fully surrender or trust in God? This is really important for me here. What sins hinder you from God and loving people? What issues in you need to be addressed that you don't really want to address because it causes so much pain, but you really need to address so you can finally live in the freedoms of God? live out his love God revealing your issues is not because he hates you it's because he loves you and understand there's a life of freedom beyond what you're going through God what are you calling me to stop so I can make room in my life to start and I didn't put a number four but I was just going to say what Jesus says now go and do likewise. Practice it. Schedule it. Find accountability. You're in training. Find a coach, a discipler. Find a spiritual squad to belong to who can keep you accountable, who can say, hey, man, what about this part of your life? 
that you have someone in your life that can call you out in all areas of your life. Just take a moment. And if you need to see these questions, they're up there. Just take a moment. For some of us, we need to begin with confession and repentance. Holy Spirit, can you show us areas of our life that we hide from you, God, and hide from others so that we, you, so that you can take it from us, God, that we can give it to you, that we can confess it to you and say, God, I have no power in this area. I need you, Lord. And then we take steps of faith to actually trusting you instead of saying, instead of giving up. We continue to trust you. It says in the, in the word of God that we shouldn't take communion lightly, that we should make sure that our hearts are right with Christ. Because this is a very important moment thinking of the gospel of Jesus, what he has done for us. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Oh, I like to break mine. Just reminding me the cost of my sin. And he said to us, his disciples and his, those he loved, he said, this is my body that was broken for you. Every time you come together, do this in remembrance of me, what I've done on the cross. Let's take the bread together. same night he took a cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood saying this is my cleansing this is the price I'm paying to take on your judgment your wrath your sin so that you could live as heirs in adoption and freedom that is found in God if we would so trust him
every time you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Father, you are cleansing us. You're making us. God, you are freeing us and you're drawing us to yourself and to one another. I pray that this church family here would not just believe God, but would be an apprentice of Jesus, becoming like you, Lord God, our master. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you have done. I pray we go and do likewise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
pray that you would just fill this room right now. God, with just everything that you are, pray that you would fill this room with your peace, God, with your spirit, with your love. God, a, a love that is never changing, a love that is truly constant, the one thing that we can count on. I pray that it would meet us right here where we are right now, God, and we pour it back all on you. God, we have come to say we love you. We praise you, God. We adore you. We exalt you in this place. And you are so good and gracious, God, that you pour even more love back on us because we are your children and you desire good things for us. God, I pray that you would make us more like you. God, that we would be so full of your love that our love would pour out to everyone else around us. That would be unmistakable, God. That it's coming from a different place, that it couldn't be us, that it had to be from you. Teach us, God. Strengthen us, God, in you and who you are. Mold us and make us who you've created us to be as we pour out our lives before you today. Just take one more moment in the presence of God. If you have anything that you need to say to him, you just need to listen today. Just take a moment just to listen to what God is saying to you. ushers come up. Um, I was just thinking about what to say about offering. A lot of thoughts are coming through my mind. Um, I'm a very black and white thinker, which more often than not isn't a good thing. Um, but I was just thinking about kind of what John was saying and um, those three questions that he put up there um, about discipleship and obedience. And I'm like, man, tithe is just out of obedience. Like we 
that's that black and white part of me that comes out and it's like we're expected to do it um, and there's a lot of scripture to back it up and things like that but uh, question number three said what area of your life do you justify so that you don't fully surrender or trust to God or trust it to God what do you need to or sorry what what are you calling me to stop so I can make room in my life to start and maybe it's tithing Maybe we think that the money is going to provide what we need instead of trusting God is going to provide what we need. So um, if that's if that's an area for you of like, man, that you're really close-fisted on and need to let go and surrender to God because money only provides so much and we work so hard for it and yet it's gone so quick. Um, yeah, I think it's just out of obedience. It is being, it's what it's doing what we're called to when we are actually being disciples rather than just saying, I know I need to do this or I believe we should do this. Um, it really comes out of that uh, obedience. So we'll pray for the offering and then Julie will do announcements. Father God, Lord, we just thank you uh, for how you take care of us, God, in, in so many aspects of our life. Um, and sometimes it's hard to see or feel or understand, God, but you are there for us. And you love us. And God, we just ask that you would help us to uh, surrender all areas of our life. And God, I just pray that you would use this tithe um, to glorify your kingdom, to reach Thornton, to reach people far from you. And God, we just pray that uh, we would do it out of obedience and out of a love for you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, our main announcement for today... Um is that next Friday and Saturday is our IF conference that we're very excited about. Um, we have over 70 women signed up for that, um, which is the biggest number we've ever had. Um, but I just, I just felt like just sitting there, um, I felt like God was saying, like, you need to be really real with these women um, because some of you guys might be sitting here and you, you kind of know that maybe you're supposed to go on the retreat, but you just are thinking to yourself, I have nothing to give. I just, I don't even want to go. Um, and I just want to tell you that when there's been a lot of uh, oppression this, this year against the IF conference. And whenever that happens, it signals to me that it is going to be more powerful and more incredible than it ever has been. And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, gosh, I, I feel like maybe I should go, but I really don't want to, um, consider that maybe that is an attack and that you actually need to be here on Friday night. And we will make room for you. We will... I won't eat if that means you get to come and eat dinner. It doesn't matter. Like, we just want you to come. There is space for every single lady in this room to be at IF on Friday night. And I know we tell ourselves all of these things like, oh, we, we have too much to do or our spouse won't like it or whatever it is. And that's just, um, it's not true. And so I'm just going to really pray um, as we close out that if you still, even if they're, even if you're like this much willing to go to if, come with me because um, a lot of us are struggling right now. This isn't like a rah, rah, like if's going to be perfect, it's going to be amazing. No, like a lot of us are crawling to if this year because we're coming through a season of grief and loss and a lot of emotional um, attack. And so just come crawl with us and just 
just receive because this year the um, the theme is Jesus, which sounds so like Sunday school, like Jesus. But it's because that there is a reason why this year the theme is Jesus because we couldn't need Jesus more ever than right now. And so just come with us. I'm going to be in the back. I will help you get signed up. And like I said, even if you just want to go like 1% of your being, that's enough. Just show up. And I promise that God is going to do amazing things because, um, like I said, there has been so much attack, and that just means that it's going to be probably our best year yet. So um, come see me in the back afterwards, and I'm just going to pray us out. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for... John's word, God, just that you, your love for us is a reckless love, God, and that you, you're calling us back even in the midst of hardships, Lord, and I pray specifically this week for every woman in this building, God, that, that they would come um, and just be filled up with your Holy Spirit at our retreat, God. I pray that no one would leave the same as when they came. God, that you would do a miraculous work in this building. God, we just pray that you would bring each and every person who needs to be there. Take away any obstacles that are getting in our way, God. And we just um, pray for our church. We pray for our future. We pray, God, that you would just fill our lives, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and remind us that um, you are always so close to us and that you love us. And in your name we pray. Amen.